right, what is going on, church? Who's excited to be in God's house this morning? Yes, love it. It's so good to be here with you guys, hang out with you all, and uh, brought my wife, Erica, with me uh, this morning. So yeah, you can see the family up there on the screen. So we actually just celebrated our 21st wedding anniversary this past Thursday, which is pretty awesome. Uh, I still remember, just like it was yesterday, the first time I ever laid eyes on Erica, she made a huge impression on me, and apparently I made a huge impression on her too, because uh, the next day when we met again, she had no idea who I was. <laughs> but uh, thank God for second chances, amen. So God gave me as many chances as it took in, in order to get her attention, but, but finally it, 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 you know, it stuck. And so here we are two decades and two kids later, so we've got two kids Micah and Savannah, our son Micah is 14. He's going to be a freshman at Maricopa High this fall. And then our daughter, uh, Savannah's 12. She's going into seventh grade. And back in the day when I used to be a youth pastor, I had all the answers. I knew exactly how parents were screwing their kids up and what they needed to do to fix it. And now that I'm a parent teenager, I got no answers. <laughs> all the answers don't work. So I have to apologize to some parents and uh, pray for us because, you know, Raising teenagers is not for the faint of heart. Yes. Well, when, when Doug called me earlier this week, it, it was a no-brainer for me. I was like, yes, I am in absolutely, because I'm sure you guys know this, but your pastor is pretty awesome. I love this guy right here, yes. I am so thankful for all the times that he has listened to me, prayed with me, encouraged me, invested in me, uh, just been there for me. And so having a chance to give back, that was like an easy, easy yes. Didn't even have to think about it. So glad to be here with you all this morning, uh, hang out, get to know you guys a little bit. So as we dive into it, I want to play a little game to get the ball rolling here this morning. So pretty simple. I'm just going to give you a mission statement based on their mission companies and then you see if you can guess what that company is based on their mission so this uh this first one was pretty easy we'll just uh, get the ball rolling here just do it so what, what is that nike. nike all right we all got that one good you got you guys figured out how this works uh all right we're gonna ramp it up now a little bit this one's gonna be a little bit harder this next company their mission in the world is to connect with friends and the world around you any guesses? Shout it out if you think you know it. Some of, you, some, of, some of you are probably using this app on your phone right now, posting stuff like hashtag guest speaker, hashtag boring, hashtag when's Pastor Doug coming back. Not, not quite Instagram. They own Instagram. Twitter. Facebook. There it is. I heard it over here somewhere. Good job. So that's Facebook's mission. Yeah, well, well, yeah, Meta, Facebook, you know, they're just taking over the world one app at a time. All right, let's try this one on for size. Uh, this company, their mission is to create a better everyday life for the many. Yeah, th th this one's tricky, not going to lie, so I'll give you a little hint. This is the only place that I know that you can go and buy a dining room table and kitchen cabinets and Swedish meatballs all <laughs> under... There you go, Ikea is the right answer, which is odd because I always thought their mission was to create instruction manuals that no one could understand. Can I get an amen? Yeah. 
All right, here's the last one. This company says their mission is to inspire and nurture the human spirit one cup at a time. Starbucks, there you go, from the great land of Seattle. So if you got all four right, give yourself a gold star because I'm sorry, I got nothing else for you. So you can, you can just reward yourself. I'm sure you guys have noticed purpose statement, mission statements, they're kind of everywhere these days, aren't they? They're on t-shirts, they're on billboards, they're on bumper stickers, they're, they're on buildings, right? Every company, big or small, churches included, has a mission statement, a purpose statement. And purpose statements are important because they answer the why question, right? They tell companies, why do we exist? Why do we do what we do? And I would say that if mission statements are important for companies, they are essential for human beings, it has been said that as human beings, we are meaning-making machines. We seek out meaning everywhere that we go. Hasn't that been your experience? We want to know, why am I here? Why are you here? Why are any of us here? What is our purpose? What are we supposed to do with our lives? Well, a couple dec- decades ago, a philosopher named Hugh Moorhead wrote to 250 of the world's greatest thinkers in that day. And he just put the question out there and said, what is the purpose of life? Well, some of them wrote back and, and said, well, we kind of make it up as we go along. Purposes kind of change. It's fluid. Uh, other people wrote back and said, they were honest. They said, look, we have no idea. And other people said, Hugh, when you figure out what the purpose of life is, tell us we want to know. Right? These are some of the greatest thinkers in the world, some of the greatest minds on this planet, and they had no clue what their purpose was. And I would argue that they were simply overthinking the question. Because you and I, we know, right? Jesus told us, he gave us the answer to this question 2,000 years ago. When someone asked Jesus, he said, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Then we fast forward a little bit in Jesus' story when Jesus knew that his time here on earth was coming to an end, right? He got his closest followers together in the upper room and he said, look guys, out of all the things that we've done, out of all the things that I've taught you, here's the one thing that I want you to remember when I'm gone. He told them, love one another as I have loved you and all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I know you guys are watching The Chosen, so you know the disciples, they weren't always the quickest on picking up what Jesus was throwing down, right? Sometimes they needed it reinforced. Well, the good news is they got this message loud and clear, because later on, after Jesus is gone, John, one of Jesus' best friends, he writes, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Peter wrote something similar, uh, 1 Peter 4. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, Paul, we know he came to the party a little bit later. He, he started following Jesus after Jesus had already ascended and returned to the Father. And so he, he missed out on this love memo. You read what Paul wrote in some of his, his letters. He would write things like, do everything in love. Let love be your only debt. If you love others then you have done all that the law demands. Then 1 Corinthians 13, 
Now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. It's like, if you had to guess in one word what God wrote as a mission statement for your life, what do you think that one word would be? Love, good, all right, you guys are getting it, good job. It's like God is saying, look, I know you human beings, you have a really short attention span. So I'm going to make this really easy for you. I'm going to give you a one word answer for all of life's most important questions. You know, questions like, what makes the church great? What does that devil hate? What do you hope for on a date? What drives people to procreate? What is impossible to overrate? What can humanity not negate? Love, 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 love. The answer is love. Right? That's your purpose. That's your purpose. That's your purpose. Your purpose. That's my purpose. The reason why God put his here on the planet, we, 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 sure, we fill up our, our days and our weeks and our time with all sorts of different activities and, you know, our schedules fill up. But at the end of the day, it is about love. You are here to love and to be loved. Now, I get it, love, it's a simple concept. You ask a three-year-old what love is, they get it, they know it, it's intuitive. So on the one hand, we can understand what we're talking about when we say love, but how many people know it's one thing to know about love, it's another thing to live it out, it's another thing to do it, it's another thing to embody it, it's another thing, thing to be love. I mean, for, just for an example, right? I love my wife more than anything in the world. But she'll be the first one to tell you, sometimes I don't always act that way. Right? Sometimes I, my behavior, my actions will show that I love myself more than I love her. Right? Same thing with my kids. I love my kids. I want them to know that they are loved. I want them to feel like our house is a place that is safe that, for them, a place where no matter what they do, they will always be loved. Which is why on occasion when they are fighting and bickering back and forth and screaming at each other, I will find myself calmly and rationally explaining to them, we do not yell at other people in this family. <laughs> My, Look, I, I want to be a person who loves my neighbor, right? That's what Jesus told us to do. But when the, he lets his dog out at 5 a.m. and it will not stop barking, I find myself fantasizing about creative ways that I can disappear that dog. <laughs> Which, truth be told, is an act of love for the entire neighborhood. <laughs> it's just not very loving towards my neighbor, Right? So sometimes we fall short of the ideal. It's like, okay, we understand what love is. We struggle to actually live it out. So if you feel with me, if you're tracking with me this morning, if maybe you found yourself in a similar situation, I just want to encourage you, you are not alone. You are in good company. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth. Because uh, you read that letter, you go, oh man, that church was messed up. They had all kinds of problems. They were fighting over theology. They were stirring up drama. They were creating cliques. Uh, they were using their spiritual gifts to one-up each other and to show off. 
they were taking each other to court and suing each other. They were adopting the sexuality of the culture and trying to bring it into the church. And so Paul writes, so he hears about all this. He's far away and he's like, all right, we, we, got, we got to fix this. This isn't right. So he writes them a letter and he's kind of ticking through these issues one by one. But after he's addressed all the things that he sees that are going wrong, he, he, he kind of takes a step back and he starts to land the plane and he goes, look, guys, all these things that you're wrestling with, all these issues that you're struggling with and fighting over, if you would just love each other, all the rest of this stuff would disappear. It wouldn't be an issue. The real issue is you are not loving each other. Right? And so that's how we got 1 Corinthians 13 probably some of the most famous words in the entire world, in the entire history of humanity about love, right? You, you've, you've heard these words every time that you've gone to a wedding, right? But the thing is, we, we have to remember as, as we were walking through the text this morning, Paul did not write these words so that he could go like, hmm, how, how could I be remembered 2,000 years from now every time someone gets married, right? He, he, he wasn't trying to get... Uh, royalties from Hallmark to see how many times you get into wedding cards. No, the reason that he wrote these words is because he sees his friends struggling to love each other. He's like, look, guys, this is how you do it. This is what real love looks like. This is how you become love to each other. So here we go. 1 Corinthians 13.1 says, if I speak in the tongue of men, or of angels, but do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Let's pause right there. What is the purpose of a gong or a cymbal? To be noisy, right? Yes, to get your attention. If you go to the symphony, there's never like a gong solo. Right, gongs are really bad at playing a melody. Their only purpose is to get you to be quiet. I wonder, do you know anyone like that? Do you know anyone that, that likes to use their words to get your attention, to make you be quiet so that they can hear themselves speak? Do you know someone who, who just wants to talk and talk and talk and talk so the attention is on them, so that they're always in the spotlight? I wonder, could that person be you? Now, look, I don't know you. Doug didn't give me any inside information here this morning. I'm not looking at anyone this morning. But it's, right, when we read that passage, it's easy for us to think about that person and this person and this person. But what if Paul is talking to me? What if he's talking to you? Which makes me ask the question, why do I do that? Why do I need to feel noticed? Why do I need to feel like I'm always in the spotlight? I, I don't know about you, but for me, I wonder if maybe it, it's sometimes because I want to feel loved. Right? I want to use my words just like a gong or a cymbal to say, hey, notice me. Pay attention to me. Look at me. Love me. Paul keeps going. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but do not have love, I'm nothing. Anyone know someone like that? Like, like they know everything. 
And even if they don't know it, they pretend like they know it. Right? Every time you say something that's just slightly off, they have to jump in and correct it. You know that person, their favorite way to start a sentence is, well, actually. Maybe that person is you. Why is that? What is it inside of you that makes you always have to set the other person straight? Maybe it's because you want to be seen. Maybe it's because you want respect. Maybe it's because you want other people to know that you have something to contribute. Which is real, all, all just different ways of saying you want to be loved. If I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Anyone here know someone that can move mountains? Anyone? Anyone? No, me, me either. God, yes, okay, he doesn't count. I don't know anyone that can move mountains, but I know plenty of people who on their social media make it look like they can move mountains, right? Anyone know people that use social media to make their life look like better than it actually is? Oh yeah, now, now, you're, now you're tracking with me. Could be the Kardashians, could be you. Could be you, it could be me. Why do we do that? What is it inside of us that needs that affirmation whole filled with positive encouragement? What, what is it that, that may, needs us to have other people think that our life is better than it actually is? Could, could it be that if other people are envious of my life, then my life isn't actually, then I can convince myself at least that my life isn't as bad as I actually think that it is? Could it be that if I can make other people jealous of me, then maybe I can convince myself that I am lovable? Paul keeps going. Verse three, he says, if I give all I possess to the poor, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You know that person that gives and gives and gives and gives, but always comes with a string attached? You know what I'm talking about. Like even as you're receiving the gift, you're going like, oh, I know I'm going to regret this one day soon. Right? Like I I know the price for receiving this gift is going to come due. But let's be honest. Maybe you don't just know that person. Maybe you are that person. Why do we do that? Why is it that there is something inside of us that tells us that we need to earn other people's love, that that we won't be loved if we don't have something to give? Right? Maybe you're that person that pushes other people away, but you've noticed that, that once you give, those same people that you push away, they keep coming back for more, don't they? Next verse, Paul says, if I give my body over to hardships that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Anyone here know someone who likes to boast? But of course, you can't just come right out and do it, right? So you learn the art of the humble brag. Oh yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, ever since I started working out, my biceps are ripping through my shirt. It's so annoying. (laughs) Maybe, yeah, yeah. Maybe you don't just know that person. Maybe you are that person. 
Why do we do it? What drives us to make sure that everyone knows what we have achieved and what we have accomplished? Well, because if no one knows about it, did it even happen? If, if, if I don't get credit for what I did, how will I know where my value comes from? How do I know that I am loved? You know, the, the ironic thing about all these issues that, that Paul is so rudely bringing to the surface so that we have to deal with them is that the reason that we don't love other people well is because we really want them to love us first. Isn't that true? Hasn't that been your experience? The truth is, when we don't know that we are loved, we will try to siphon that love off of other people. Why? Because you are made for love. You are created for love. And if you don't feel worthy of love, if you've bought into some lie that you don't deserve love, you will do whatever you can to fulfill your purpose, to, to steal that love from other people. But even though the truth is we can all be love suckers at times, we, we can take love, we can steal love. There is hope for us. I don't know a better verse to explain it than this. So simple, so straight to the point. First John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. Amen? Maybe another way you could say that verse is that you have to receive love before you can give love. That, that just makes sense to me. You can't give something that you don't have. You can't give away something that you've never received, right? You have to know that you're loved before you can truly love someone else. Otherwise, all your attempts at loving that person is really just a backdoor attempt to get them to love you. Which is why Paul makes this point over and over and over again here in 1 Corinthians 13, that from God's perspective, everything that we do, if it is not centered in love, it is worthless. Right, Paul says it again and again. If I don't live a life with love, I gain nothing. It's like, whoa, wait a minute, Paul. Are you sure about that? Really? Nothing? Zip, zero, nada? And Paul goes, yeah, no, nothing. Why? Because it comes back to your purpose. You are designed to love. You are designed to receive love. You are designed to give love. You are designed to be a conduit of love. Right? And deep down inside, we all know true love starts not with taking, it starts with giving. Remember, maybe seven or eight years ago now, we took our kids to Legoland for the first time. And so our son, who, who you now saw is taller than I am, uh, he, he was maybe six or seven at the time. This was like at the peak of his Lego phase, right? Legos have now since been replaced with, with video games and Rocket League and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but he was obsessed with Lego. And so when we got to Legoland and checked into the hotel, he discovered the hugest pile of Legos that he had ever seen in his life. He was in heaven. He was like Scrooge McDuck diving into his money bin. The only problem with that was when it was time to actually go to the park, go to Legoland, he didn't want to go. He was, you know, he's like, dad, there's nothing better in the world than this. And I'm like, no, trust me, son. If you like this, you will love Legoland. There's something better on the other side of that door. Well, eventually we were able to coax Micah out of the Lego pit and go to Legoland. 
right? Because the goal of going to Legoland isn't to play in the hotel lobby. The goal of going to Legoland is to go to Legoland. And I, I kind of get that same sense as I'm reading through 1 Corinthians. The Corinthian church, they, they, were, they were close, but they missed the mark. They were focused on the wrong goal. They thought the purpose of, of gathering together, of doing church, of, of being family, was to one-up each other. They thought the goal was to create cliques so that they weren't the one who got voted off the island. They thought the goal was to make the most money, to, to sort of sneak the sexual practices of their culture into the church so they could kind of have their cake and eat it too. Paul's going, no, guys, you are missing it. That is not the point. The point is love. No matter what you do, love should be at the center. Love should be at the core. Jesus says it this way in Mark chapter 8. He says, what use is it to you if you gain all the wealth and power of this world with everything it could offer you at the cost of your own soul? Just let that sink in for a minute. What if you gain everything that you have ever wanted, but it costs you your soul? Maybe another way I kind of think about that is like this. Each and every day, you are either becoming more and more like Jesus or a little bit less and less like Jesus. Right? Today, you're either becoming a more and more loving person or you're, you're becoming just ever so slightly a less and less loving person. Right? And Jesus says it doesn't matter what you do. It could be the big things to the small things. It could be something as simple as making your kids dinner. It could be something as simple as how you merge into traffic on the 202. It could be what you post on social media. It could be how you interact with your neighbor. All the way, all the way on up to the biggest decisions you can make in your life, like where you're going to work, who you're going to marry, who you're going to date, where you're going to live how you're gonna invest your time, your talent, your treasures. Jesus says everything from the big to the small, it all matters. All of that stuff, it is shaping your soul. Jesus says you can do all that stuff from the big to the small in a way that brings you closer to God, in a way that invites you to become and forms you into a more loving person. Or you can do all of that stuff in a way that makes you more about yourself, more self-centered, less with, with a smaller capacity to love and care for other people. What good is it if you gain all the wealth and power, but it costs you your soul? Now, don't hear what Jesus is not saying in this passage. Jesus is not saying that wealth or power or bad, that the answer is just to ignore them or, or get rid of them. But he is saying that if you pursue those things in such a way that it makes you a less loving person with a, a, a diminished capacity to care about the people around you, then what good is it? What, it, what, is, what is it going to achieve in your life? Nothing. Now, maybe money and power aren't your thing. That's all right. You can substitute money and power for, for whatever your thing is. Right? What good is it if you get a million YouTube subscribers and 10 million views on a video, but it costs you your soul? Right? Maybe your thing is sports. What good is it if your kids get all the trophies, play all the sports, get all the scholarships, but in the process, you become the kind of person that just cares about results? 
Maybe your thing is just stuff. Maybe at the end of your life, you have the, the house, the car, the clothes, the vacations, like you got it all, baby. But in the process to get there, you left everyone else in the dust. Jesus says, what good is that? It's worthless. Because look, whatever your thing is, whatever it is that drives you, whatever it is that, um, that motivates you to get out of bed in the morning, if it is not love, one day it will be stripped away from you. It just will. And I think we all know that intuitively, right? Sometimes we just forget to live like that's true. But love, love is the one thing that lasts forever. Now, down at Church of Celebration, we have these two 20-year-old church vans. And yes, they smell exactly like you would expect a van to smell after 20 years of taking hot, sweaty, stinky kids that don't shower to summer camp in the middle of Arizona when it's 110 degrees outside. That's exactly what it smells like. We're, we're, we're going to market that to, it's going to be the Axe New Body Spray scent. The other thing you need to understand about these vans is it's not like our logo is just like down in the corner on the bottom somewhere. It is wrapped around the entire van. So when we drive these vans around town, everyone knows where COC is going. Well, one day I was driving the church van. I was late to a meeting. And so I'm kind of in a hurry. And the person in front of me is just driving slower and slower and slower and slower. And all of a sudden I notice they are frantically motioning out the driver's side window to pull over and they're blocking my way. I'm like, is this a carjacking? And then I realized no one would want these vans. If this was a carjacking, I would just hand them the keys and say, go with God. Like you can have it. turns out what actually was going on when I got out of the car and realized this, this woman had been crying and she said are you a pastor I said yes I am she explained I just got in this huge fight with my teenage son and I don't know what to do can you come over to the house right now and pray with us and talk to him and help him to calm down I'm like ah, I gotta go I'm already late to this meeting I got more important things to do I'm like look here here's the here's the number for a Christian counselor I'll text it to you I'll pray for you sorry gotta go so I, I go to my meeting, the, the meeting wraps up, I get back in the van and I'm searching around I'm like, where are my AirPods? And then I had this memory. When I got out of the van, I set them on the van seat. And so I drive back around to where we had pulled over on the side of the road and there they were, right on the side of the road, right where I thought they'd be, flat as a pancake. I'm like, no, I loved these AirPods. And I'm telling you, as clearly as God has ever said anything to me, he said, Ben, you love those AirPods more than you love that woman, more than you love that hurting family that I brought to you. I was like, ah, I knew that it was true. Totally convicted. Now, the good news is, you know, I still had her number because I had texted her that uh, counseling referral and so I was able to follow up and connect with them and pray with them and help them talk through some things. The thing is that that first time around, what I did, offering to pray, offering resources, is any of that wrong? Is any of that bad? No, it's fine. That's good. That's great. The problem was with my heart. My actions weren't motivated by love. 
It was motivated by expediency. It was motivated by convenience. It was motivated by how do do I just check this off the list so I can get to the next thing that I want to do? Right, God convicted me that I cared more about a thing than I cared about a person. I cared more about my plans and my schedule, my agenda, than what God had put on my schedule for that day. You know, our, our, our culture tells us that, that love is a feeling, right? L- love is something you fall into or you fall out of. We hear things like, well, I, I can't love them. I, I just don't love them anymore. I, I don't feel it. I'm not feeling the love. You know, we say things like, well, I, I love ice cream. I love Netflix. I love to eat ice cream while watching Netflix. <laughs> you know, we say things like, I, I love pizza. I love my wife. Side note, guys, if you love your wife the same way you love pizza, you're doing it wrong, right? We, we, we use love in such a, a generic, watered-down kind of way. And the, the point of saying all that is to say that from our human perspective, lo- our, our love can be shallow, it can be narrow, it can be thin, it can be self-serving. I think you probably know that when Paul writes about love in 1 Corinthians 13, He's not talking about human love, right? He uses the Greek word agape, which is a God-sized love. It is a love without strings. It is a love that has no expectation of return or compensation. It is a love that can love even when you don't like that person. It is a love that can love even when everyone else says that person is unlovable. It is a love that loves even when it's rejected. It's a love because it wants to, not because it has to. It's a love that actually has very little to do with emotion and has everything to do with wanting the best for the other person. It loves because God loves that person. It's a love that never gets tired. It's a love that never grows old. Now, this morning, as we've been talking about love and about living it out, not just talking about it, not just thinking about it, I know there's probably that person in the back of your mind that you're thinking about, you're just going like, I cannot love that person. You don't understand, Ben. You have not been around this person. If you knew how they were, if you knew what they did, if you knew the way they they would take advantage of this kind of unconditional love that you were talking about, you would just know there is no way I can love him. There's no way I can love her. I, I want you to know you're right. You cannot love them. 1 John 4.10 says, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice that deals with our sin, right? Now that's what true love looks like. Friends, trying to love other people, trying to love our brothers and sisters with our love is like trying to find your way through the dark just by candlelight. Loving people with God's love, when it starts to flow through us, that's like walking around in the sunlight, right? It will take you everywhere that you need to go. In other words, it's just like we've been saying all morning long, you need to receive love before you can give love. Now, if you haven't watched the movie, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, do yourself a favor, go home and watch it. So, so good. But basically, without giving you spoilers away, uh, the movie is about a reporter named Lloyd Vogel. 
And he's assigned to do uh, like an interview, like a, uh, a feature piece on Fred Rogers. And let's just say Lloyd and Fred could not be more polar opposites in personality. Right? We all know Mr. Rogers, he's warm, he's loving, he's kind. Uh, Lloyd is cold, he's cynical, he's bitter, he's closed off. And there's this scene so good where Fred and Lloyd are, are uh, in a diner together. And Mr. Rogers says to him, Lloyd, let's just take a minute and think about the people that have loved us in our life. <laughs> you can tell at first, Lloyd's like, ah, I don't want any of that. And Fred goes, no, 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 just, just give it a minute. Trust me, they will come to you. So, so powerful. They, they sit there. No one says a word. And you can tell at first, Lloyd's thinking, this is dumb. This is stupid. Why am I doing this? But they, they continue to sit there. They soak in the silence. And eventually you can just tell by the look on his face. Like, he's remembering all the times that people have loved him, that have cared about him, that have told him that he is worthy, that have told him that he is Love not for what he does, but just for who he is. Right? And something changes in his heart that day by focusing on the way that other people loved him. It opened him up to love the people that he had been pushing away. It's just like Paul has been telling us, you have to receive love before you can give love. So as we wrap things up here this morning, I want to challenge you at some point today, to give that a try. To find a space where you can be still, where you can be quiet, and just think about the people over the course of your life who have loved you, who have been generous to you, who have been kind to you, who have been compassionate to you, even when you didn't deserve it, who reminded you of who God created you to be. In fact, I challenge you to go one step farther. If you're up for it, take some time today and just remember all the ways that God your heavenly father has loved you. If you need some help with that, read through Luke 15. Try to imagine yourself in the story that Jesus paints for us. Imagine what it was like when you were the lost coin. And Jesus describes how God the father, he turned his entire house upside down and he didn't quit looking until he found you. Imagine what it was like when you were the lost sheep And Jesus was your good shepherd. And he kept coming and kept coming and kept coming until he found you. It didn't matter how dangerous it was. It didn't matter what the cost was. He left the 99 and he came after you. Put yourself in the story, friends, when you were the lost son, when you were the lost daughter. And God the Father stood on the edge of his property every day, looking, waiting, hoping that you would turn back to him, that you would appear in the distance. And when you did, he lifted up his robes and he came running to you, something a man in the ancient Near East never would have done because it was shameful. But God says, I don't care who sees it because my son, my daughter, they're home. And he wrapped his arms around your neck and he said, I love you. I love you. And before you could even get your, your confession your, your repentance out of your mouth. He's inviting the neighbors. He's throwing a party because he, he, he wants everyone to know, my son, my daughter, whom I love, they are home. They are back in the fold. They are a part of the family. It's like they never left. See, friends, that right there, that is the kind of love 
that will give you a purpose. That is the kind of love that you were made for. But you have to receive that love before you can give that love. So as we land the plane, I just want you to imagine with me two people, two types of people. First person is an outrageous giver and receiver of love. They see the best in other people. They help the other people see the best in themselves. They're never in a hurry. They're generous with their time. You can tell they genuinely care about people. They know how to love. They know how to laugh. They know how to enjoy life. They're not bitter. They're not uh, hard-hearted. They forgive freely. The other person, not so much. They struggle with love. Everything always comes back to them. Every conversation, every decision, it's all about them. The world revolves around them. They're hard, they're jaded. Their coworkers feel used, their friends feel abused. Their family feels like an afterthought. The truth is, friends, whether you realize it or not, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, whether you want to lean into it or not, you and I, we're becoming one of those two people each and every day. Every day that you wake up, every breath that you breathe, you're moving in one of those two directions. So the question I want to leave you with this morning is, which type of person are you becoming? Maybe a better way to ask the question is, what type of person do you want to become? I pray that you choose love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you don't just tell us about love. You show us what real love looks like because you are love. You're not just an idea about love. You're not a description of love. You are love itself. You are love embodied. And we see that no place more clearly than on the cross. We see that no place more vividly than in your son, Jesus Christ. Would you help us to receive that love, to embrace that love, to become that love? Not because we've earned it, not because we've deserved it, not because we proved that we are worthy of it, but because you call us your your son. You call us your daughter. Jesus, we confess that sometimes we buy into the lie that we are less than, that we are not worthy of. Sometimes we, we, we lose the plot. We get distracted by pursuing other things. God, if there are lies in our hearts this morning that we have embraced that tell us that we are not worthy of love, that we are not deserving of love, I pray that you would bring those to the surface, that you would expose them, that you would dissolve them so that we can live in the truth that we are loved by you and there is no greater purpose, there is no greater mission on this planet, in this life, than to be loved by you and to live out that love, to be a vessel through which your love flows. We love you, God. We pray this in your name.